The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Hello. If you want to run with the game-changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzzword is risk, R-I-S-K. Any way you want to spell it, it's risk. So, a couple of key questions here. Can ignorance of risk ever be bliss? Hmm, that's a meaty one. And more important to your company, should the responsibility for risk fall on your CEO, your CFO, or your CRO if you have one? These are important questions, burning questions, and you need solid answers. Now, I've invited a panel of experts to help you figure this out. They speak. First, we're going to hear from Fiona Williams from Deloitte & Touche, and she says, A Deloitte & Forbes Insights 2012 survey found a surprising, get this, 91% of companies plan to reorganize and reprioritize their risk management approaches in the next three years. Are you among those where you're sur- you surveyed? You want to hear what Fiona has to say. We'll be speaking with her in just a moment. We're also joined today by Scott L. Mitchell from OCEG. And he says, we all know that even the best laid plans of mice and men oft go astray, of course, quoting the eloquent Robert Burns from The Poem to a Mouse. And then Scott adds in his own words, to execute with this expectation is much harder to do than to say. Our plans B, plan C, plan D, plan E, and plan F are as likely as plan A when it comes to the strategic things that really matter most. That sounds like a riddle or a conundrum, and Scott will explain it to me and you in just a few minutes. And rounding out the panel is repeat guest on the show, Bruce McQuaig from SAP. He was on our Coffee Break with Game Changers show a while ago. And Bruce says, a recent survey by North Carolina State ERM Initiative identified the top 10 global risks, and there was no clear evidence that risk management practices have fundamentally changed and that the past will not be repeated. Hmm, sounds a little like doom and gloom. Somebody's whistling in the background. Sounds like we have a happy whistler. So join us for the next hour for looking for risk in all the wrong places. Hmm, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is SAP Financial Excellence with Game Changers, episode number five. We're coming to you live. It's April 30th, 2013. Where has the year gone? I have a quick question for my listeners, and then I'm going to introduce my panel. So, Game Changer listeners, are you looking for enterprise-grade mobile apps that deliver secure information when and where you need it? What else is there? Download a free Aberdeen Group white paper on secure delivery of corporate email, BI dashboards, and customer inventory and sales data. Go to any banner on our show page on the business channel. Click, and it'll take you to an offer page, and look for the Aberdeen white paper with my compliments. Okay, let's get started. Fiona Williams is a partner at Deloitte & Touche LLP. Fiona has more than 20 26 years of experience in information security consulting, 
organization and process improvement, information systems auditing, and application design and implementation. Welcome, Fiona. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Bonnie. And you're also a repeat guest because you were on with me on the Coffee Break show several months ago. So welcome back, Fiona. Looking forward to your insights, and you sent me such interesting statistics from your recent studies. Can't wait to do a deep dive. So thank you, Fiona. And joining Fiona is Scott L. Mitchell. I have to find out if I have to say the L every time. He's the chair <laughs> chair of – I knew I'd get you. He's the chair of OCEG, a global nonprofit community with over 40,000 members. That's a crowded conference room, creating authority authoritative resources for achieving principled performance, how? By integrating governance, assurance, and management of performance, risk, compliance, and ethics, which is GRC. Scott L. Mitchell, how are you? Can we drop the L? <laughs> you can drop the L, and you know what? Just call me Scott. Good to be here, Bonnie. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Thank you, Scott. Got you to smile. And Bruce McQuaig has a lot of letters after his name. B-C-O-M-M-C-A-C-R-M-A-C-C-S-A. What is he? He's a Director of Solution Marketing for SAP GRC, Governance, Risk, and Compliance Solutions. Before SAP, Bruce's roles included VP of Risk and Compliance with Thomson Reuters, and he was a partner in Card Decision, C-A-R-D, a software and consulting firm with a global practice in risk management and control design, and they were acquired in 2004 by Paisley Thompson Reuters. How are you, Bruce McQuaig? Great, Bonnie. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. Glad to have you back. So, everybody, let's go do a deep dive into these wonderful quotes you sent me. Take a few minutes each, get everybody to know who you are and all the great expertise you bring to our panel today. Risk, 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 risk. That's our topic. So, Fiona Williams says a Deloitte and Forbes Insights 2012 survey found 91% of companies plan to reorganize and reprioritize their risk management approaches in the next three years. Sounds like it's probably already underway. Were you shocked or surprised, Fiona, at these results? Uh, no, we weren't really surprised, Bonnie. We found that uh, most of our organizations that we work with have typically been managing risk in silos across the organization without any common framework, and this has not been the most effective way to do it. And so what most organizations are trying to do now is put in a more organized approach to managing risk across the enterprise, and that's supported by technology and people and processes and methodologies. So we think it's a step in the right direction, and we're really encouraged to see most of our clients moving in that. Uh, area. Now, when you say in the next three years, does that imply that they're already underway, the plans are being made, technology is being acquired, training is going on, big heavy-duty meetings are being held in companies? Because three years is, is a whisper away, Fiona. What do you see? A lot of organizations are already starting to make this move and um, you know, are more leading edge than others. So we do see that moving um, already. And, you know, as the technology has become much more prevalent and more mature, that's made it easier as well. So a few years back, there weren't really good solutions for them in terms of technology. Mm -hmm. But now, um, with more and more technology solutions available, particularly, uh, you know, Bruce can talk to his SAP solutions. Um, with those available now, it makes it a lot easier to start thinking about unifying those efforts across the organization. And Fiona, briefly before we turn to Scott and work on his quote, I want to ask you, was it a catastrophic event that created this impetus to say almost 100%? I'm just going to hedge this way up. 91% to me is close to a perfect score. What was the impetus for so many companies to want to reorganize their risk management? Was this everybody had a catastrophe? Everybody had a major shortfall on the risk side? Everybody had to spend an awful lot of money cleaning up a risk mess? Tell me. I think there wasn't one single event. I think there's just been many events that organizations have faced 
that have helped them to understand that what they're doing currently is not ideal. And so, you know, as they keep getting more and more regulations put on them, more and more requirements to manage risk, um, the volatility in the financial markets and everything has just caused so much turmoil that they're realizing what they're doing today doesn't make sense and there's better ways of doing it. So I think it's uh, more just a culmination of a lot of different events that are going on. Thank you. And I'm going to take a hedge of bet here that after listening to the show, the other 9% will join the, join the movement and say, yeah, we better look at this seriously. Let's move to Scott. Scott L. Mitchell. Yes, I will drop the L. OCEG, you say, we all know that even the best laid plans of mice and men oft go astray, charmingly quoting Robert Burns. And then you add, and you got to help me with this, Scott, to execute with this expectation is much harder to do than to say. Plans B, C, D, E, and F are as likely as plan A when it comes to the strategic things that matter most. Help me out. What happened to plan A? Is it going to happen, or are we going to end up with plan E, F, G, or H? Tell me, Scott. Yeah, well, you know, there's there, it's sort of a, uh, another erudite scholar played off of that quote uh, named Mike Tyson, I think, when he said, you know, <laughs> everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And I think that, you know, a lot of times in business, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on our plan A, what we think is going to happen. And we may even be clever and try to develop out some scenarios of, of possible futures. But all that changes in an instant, the moment that we're actually out there in business doing important things. And I, there, there's almost a strange inverse relationship between importance and predictability. In other words, the, the very most strategic things, the things that are company killing. In fact, Fiona, you all did some, have done some great research on this over at Deloitte. But a lot of the company killing risks that could materialize are oftentimes, you know, very difficult to predict or, you know, they're one of 20 things that could have happened. And so this, this ability to prepare for the company killing things um, becomes very, very difficult. And so to first off recognize that reality, that reality that what you are predicting, if it's important, if it's strategic, is not only unlikely but highly unlikely to occur the way you think it will, you need to start focusing less on responding, you know, to plan A necessarily, and thinking more about preparing yourself for a range of possible futures. You know, it's more like training, uh, you know, like an athlete training for all the possible outcomes of something that could happen on the field, as opposed to training, you know, for, uh, you know, X's and O's sliding around a computer screen, you know, or, or on a chalkboard. And I think all too often in business, we're, we're still kind of on the chalkboard with X's and O's, thinking that people are going to be sweeping in the exact locations that we're, we're thinking about, and we develop these plans for those, those scenarios. But in reality, the moment that we hit the field, the moment we get punched in the mouth, you know, we oftentimes are stunned at, uh, at how, we're, uh, uh, you know, how we're trying to respond to those things. Thank you, Scott. I have a quick question before we turn to Bruce. My question is, companies today, let's talk about the large enterprise level. How deep into the alphabet do they actually go talking about what the opportunities of risk are or the possibilities? Is there, I I understand plan A, plan B, plan C, but how many companies really get to plan D, E, F, or G? Is this something that they want to spend time with? Is this a best practice to have so many alternate plans? Tell me. Well, I think, you know, like I said, there's sort of an inverse relationship. Certainly at the, at the strategic level, as you're painting out, you know, broad, broad potential futures, really the strategic game you're going to play, it is critical to go, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And 
good companies have been doing this for really for decades, maybe forever, frankly. I mean, this is not a new thought by any stretch, um, the idea of planning for multiple outcomes. And in fact, in the early 90s, there was a, uh, quite a movement around scenario planning. And I think to a certain degree in the C-suite, this is happening quite a bit. But really that idea, you know, for this, this notion of strategy versus tactics, you know, strategy is a really tough word. One person's strategy is another person's tactics, mm-hmm. right? As we go throughout the organization uh, down to the level of individual teams and staff, you know, their strategies individual are very much the tactics of their boss, boss's boss's yes. boss's boss. And so I think it's important at every level to think about what we do strategically in our own role and to apply this level of scenario planning. And then meanwhile, you said, you know, is it worth all the time and resources? Mm-hmm. The good news about scenario planning is it's not very resource intensive. Okay. It's actually one of the, the better, one of the easier things you can do in risk management. What consumes a lot of resources these days in risk management is this, you know, almost mind-numbing mapping of objectives to risks to controls. And I think anybody who's been involved in this for any period of time has seen plenty of really bad examples of that, where there's so much time spent at this infinitesimal planning for things that, frankly, you know, aren't company killing. And that time is probably better spent focusing on those uh, scenarios that are. Thank you very much, and we have time to get Bruce McQuaig's voice in here. Bruce said, a recent survey by North Carolina State ERM Initiative identified the top 10 global risks, and he says, there is no clear evidence that risk management practices have fundamentally changed and that the past will not be repeated. This sounds very damning, Bruce. How bad is it? Well, I think it's uh, consistent with what we've heard from both uh, Scott and Fiona, frankly, um, with the number of people who are planning to revitalize or reshape their risk management functions, I think there's people that recognize that a lot can be done. And my point was kind of a global, kind of a macro point, but we've just come mm-hmm. to uh, probably one of the worst financial crises um, you know, of all time, if not the worst, and parts of the world are still experiencing it. If I look at a, at a list of global risks, and this is a reasonably good list of global risks, there's 10 of them, I'm not going to read them all, but they're things like cyber threats and security and and, uh, you know, economic conditions, et cetera. I would expect to see on that list of risks some risk that was responsible for the global crisis we just went through. If I was in the aircraft manufacturing business uh, right now and manufacturing and selling modern aircraft, I would expect to see a risk uh, relating to batteries and battery failure and battery fires, uh, learning from the past. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that we learn from the past a lot in the traditional risk management business. I've been around long enough to have a dim but clear uh, recollection of the financial crisis of the 70s, another one in the 80s, another one in the 90s, the most recent mm-hmm. one, and I guess I can predict another one uh, you know, coming up in a few years from now. And I don't really think we have recognized in many cases the fundamental root cause, human behavior, conditions that precede and, and really you know, cause those things to happen. And that's what we need to do. Uh, not just, we just need to focus on the company killers and the value destroyers uh, as opposed to just going through a, you know, mind-numbing risk management practice and, and developing risks. And so I can test any list of risks to me uh, by does it explain the past? Is there anything we've learned that I see on this list of risks that would you know, explain what I've seen in the recent past in terms of catastrophes and those sorts of things? And all too often I don't. So that was the broad point I was making, and I don't think it's at all inconsistent with what we've heard from Scott and Fiona. 
Okay, and thank you. And we are wrapping up our first segment here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Our topic today, looking for risk in all the wrong places. When we come back, we'll find out what's in my guest cup. You know, what are you drinking today on your coffee break? Where are they calling from? What time of day? And then we're going to do a deep dive into risk, risk management, GRC, and find out the role technology places plays and what companies think and feel about making that investment in technology that can get them to a better place in their GRC. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Don't even think of touching that app. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. And here we are. We are financially excellent today. We're going to find out what my guests are drinking, a little crossover from our coffee break with Game Changer Sister Series. Maybe it's a brother series. I didn't check the genealogy. Okay, Fiona Williams from Deloitte. Where are you calling from today, Fiona? What's in your cup today? Well, Bonnie, um, I'm calling from Southern California. And, um, you know, in light of your financial excellence and my uh, accounting background and wanting to avoid risk, I read uh, some years back about how to retire rich and to save the $5 you spend every day on a cappuccino, uh, you know, will add up to a lot of money at the time that you retire. So what I did is I went out and bought a fancy coffee machine with a timer, and uh, every morning it automatically, you know, set to grind my favorite Starbucks uh, beans and brews up a nice fresh cup of coffee for me. And so I wake up to a lovely small coffee and enjoy my first cup and uh, I'm saving while I do it. So that's my um, what's in my brew this morning. Thank you. What flavor are you drinking, Fiona? We all want to know what's actually in the cup. It's French roast. It's uh, very nice, nice and dark and very strong. That's the way I like my coffee. No comment on the rest of what I'm not going to say. Scott Mitchell, what are you drinking today? Where are you calling from? Well, I'm calling from Arizona, and for people who are, don't know about Arizona, it's kind of funny time zone-wise. We don't change time, so half the, time, half the year we're on Pacific Coast time, and the other half we're on uh, Mountain Time, which is very confusing if you're not using calendar invites to schedule meetings. So. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't, nothing's in my coffee cup. I drink tea. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because of the health benefits, but, but I also, I guess, am a, uh, somewhat of a uh, tassiographer, uh, tea reader, tea leaf reader. Ooh. And what you're supposed to do, actually, when you're done drinking your tea is you, you literally look down in the bottom and you try to look, find any shapes, which I guess is sort of like looking up in the sky and trying to, you know, make sense out of clouds. And uh, I, I did just uh, look down a couple seconds ago, and I see a box, uh, or at least I'm making that up in my mind or whatever, which means <laughs> if you, anybody who does tassiography is, uh, knows that I'm about to receive a gift. So I don't know if that's coming from you, Bonnie, or Fiona, or Bruce, but I'm expecting something ASAP. I'm going to send you an SAP Coffee Break with Game Changers mug, Scott, and <laughs> it will come Perfect. in a box. And you predicted it, and there's no risk there at all because I Perfect. can guarantee it. Eventually it will arrive. Thank you, Scott. And Bruce McQuaig, where are you calling from and what's in your I'm calling from, the, uh, calling from the shore of Lake Huron, looking over Lake Huron in the little town of Zurich, Ontario. I'm really interested, though, in Scott's new risk management uh, technique. i got to... Uh, and I learned to adapt the tea leaves to, to risk management. But about a year ago, I'll tell you what I'm drinking in my cup here. It's a long way to get to the story, but about a year ago, my wife and I moved here from the relatively urban environment of uh, the Toronto area where I was within fairly short walking distance of at least two Starbucks and uh, several other coffee shops. And mm-hmm. since I work at home a couple of times a day, I'd take myself a little walk and think things through and have a coffee and come home and get back to work again. Out here where I am now, probably 50 miles from the nearest Starbucks. And to give you an idea of how truly isolated I am, if you know Canada, I'm about five miles from the nearest Tim Hortons, which in Canadian terms is really isolated. Wow. Tim Hortons being as pro- pro- uh, proliferating as they are. Uh, so I did kind of what Fiona did. I bought a, a, a very expensive high-end coffee machine and uh, make coffee at home, espresso. But about a, uh, about a month ago, I was in downtown Zurich, which is a town of perhaps a 1,000 people, and I smelt the unmistakable smell of coffee roasting. And I went to the post office and I said, I smell coffee roasting. Where's that coming from? And as it turned out, nobody knew. But as I found out later, somebody opened up a coffee roasting uh, business in the little town of Zurich, miles from anywhere. And I now get my freshly roasted espresso coffee locally and grind it in my machine, uh, heat up a little bit of milk and sip espresso uh, on and off during the course of the day. So that's what I'm doing. How lovely. Thank you all. Great stories. And I have to tell you that Malcolm Kimberlin, my colleague and co-producer at SAP, says he's coasting through the morning after just one cup of Equator Coffee's Alligator French. That's all it takes. (laughs) Thank you, Malcolm. And all of you wondering what Bonnie is drinking? Nothing except water. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. (laughs) And a note from uh, Bruce, this is for you. A note from Brad, our engineer at the Business Channel. He says Voice America Business Channel is always on Pacific Time, and they're in Phoenix. So there. Oh, that was that. No, that was for us, for Scott. Okay, so let's dig down and go a little deeper on our topic of risk. Looking for risk in all the wrong places. We'll find out what places you should be looking. But I want to turn to the role that technology plays. And Bruce McQuaig says. SAP surveys suggest that most companies are using what? Old, outdated technology and experiencing significant pain. No surprise. But here's the kicker. Bruce says they're reluctant to invest. What's the problem here? Well, how does the risk outweigh the benefit? Bruce, let's start. Well, it's a paradox, and it's a, it's a difficult paradox to explain. But um, I, even as recently as a, a few weeks ago, I was at a roundtable listening to companies uh, presenting case studies of their risk management uh, stories, and, and surprisingly few of them were using any kind of sophisticated technology at all. I think what companies are finding is uh, perhaps alluding to what Scott said, the, you know, the exercise of linking risk to controls, to issues, to all these things, and doing these calculations is kind of mind-numbing, and, and people don't want to do it. 
they find that they can use much less sophisticated tools to, if all you're going to do is list risks and, and decide how big they are, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need a lot of technology to do that. Um, so a lot of companies are wondering just how to exploit technology, how to build a business case for risk management. And I think there's two things. Um, I think people have to focus their risk management effort on where the value in the business is. Uh, I think people are looking at risks all over the company, and there's probably only uh, you know, half a dozen significant value drivers or less in most companies that really deserve the, uh, the, the time and effort that risk management requires. And uh, there's a huge amount of activity that doesn't, it gets a lot of uh, risk management attention, but really probably doesn't deserve it. I think we can spend a lot of time looking at risks in accounts payable and inventories, and really we should be looking at risks in the things that, that drive our business value. So that's one thing that I think impedes the business case for risk management. The other thing I think is that the technology we have today that I think is really useful for risk management is uh, the technology that, that develops indicators and, 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 and develops alerts and monitors. And I think those are the kinds of things that are beginning to be exploited by companies. My view is that for many risks, at least many operational risks, and perhaps other sorts of risks external to the organization, most of what companies need to know about those risks and how they're being managed are already in existence. So most of that knowledge, most of that data is already in existence. And I think the real future of uh, technology for risk management is tapping into uh, key risk indicators, tap- tapping into alerts uh, that would indicate to people that risks are in fact happening or are about to happen. And I, I would see that as uh, you know where technology is perhaps most beneficial to to risk management, and we'll see that being exploited shortly. Thank you, Bruce. I want to bring Fiona into this. Fiona, you told me before the show that your surveys, your studies have shown that risk management budgets are frugal but not stingy. I found that very interesting, and you report that 50% of respondents to the study expected only minimal changes to the risk management budget across all categories, but fewer than 15% across all risk areas thought risk budgets would decrease over the next three. So they think they're going to hold the line, but you're saying frugal but not stingy. Can you give us a little definition there, Fiona, please? Sure. You know, as um, risk management is moving more and more into the C-suite and we're getting um, you know, CEOs, CFOs, and, and chief risk operators, officers, CROs, more involved in managing risk, um, you know, they've seen how ineffective it's been to try and manage risk across silos in the organization and, um, you know, are pooling those resources together. So it may not be additional funding, but it's just spending that money better and more effectively and using um, technology and, and processes to improve how they do things rather than applying more money on it. Uh, you know, one of the stories that I, I've always loved is um, somebody told me that when they worked at Enron, they were spending millions and millions of dollars to develop a custom risk management system. And, uh, you know, it never got rolled out and millions of dollars later, and, and we all know what happened with Enron. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today you don't need to spend that kind of money to get an effective pr- program in place. Um, you know, a lot of companies really, uh, you know, as Bruce was saying, have, you know, 10 key risks maybe that they really need to manage and they need to be able to explain to the, the audit committee and the board how they're managing those risks. And you don't need a very expensive system or, uh, you know, techniques to be able to do that. So I think that by applying, uh, you know, simple technology that everybody can understand and use and, and uses the same approaches across the organization, you can quickly get to uh, you know, much better risk management of those business issues and then have a clear understanding of what you're doing to mitigate those risks if you decide to mitigate them. So I think that um, you know it's just a smarter way to spend the money, but not necessarily needing more money to be effective. 
Thank you. And Scott Mitchell, I want to bring you in here. I'd like to turn our attention to that big thing called big data. And you say that using big data solutions to capture or transcribe everything is not only technically possible, but technically easier than ever. Talk to me. How does big data come into the picture in terms of risk and GRC? And talk to me about the instrumentation of systems and transactions. Scott? Well, you know, this kind of goes back to the whole plans B, C, D, E, and F, is that Mm -hmm. uh, if you are implementing systems that are essentially about, as, you know, Bruce, I guess, has has also mentioned, you know, sort of mapping, right, mapping objectives to risks to controls, and if it's really more of a doc, just a documentation tool, you're only going to be able to plan and execute on plan A. Another approach to doing this is what I would call instrumenting your enterprise, and so instead of ahead of time thinking about all the things that could, could go wrong and developing specific code or technology to monitor those items, you can actually instrument uh, all of your transactional systems to capture data, you know, basically have that system of record where the data exists. Um, you know, in, in the past, we would hesitate to do or to undertake such a project because of the sheer scale and size of storing the data the ability to actually use that data would be limited. But with big data solutions, you know, things like data stores like, uh, uh, you know, Cassandra, Hadoop, and, you know, SAP's got a great one called HANA, you can actually get answers to these questions from, you know, enormous data stores easier than ever before. So instead of trying to be clever ahead of time, you can start asking questions in retrospect, right? As you start understanding your business better and better, which is hopefully happening every day. For example, let's say you're, under, you're moving into new geographies and you're selling, and as you're selling in those geographies, you're learning more and more about the types of transactions that you might uh, really, frankly, worry about. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe transactions uh, in, in high-risk uh, uh, areas that are, have high risk of corruption. And you might have a, a theory that you can test to look at the types of transactions or transaction sizes and how those might relate or correlate to employee databases you know, fa- uh, and, and family names and whether or not checks are being cut to government officials, just you know, things like that. But instead of trying to think of it all ahead of time, you can more retrospectively uh, query huge amounts of data in a, in a reasonable amount of time now. Thank you. And you know what? You took us right up to the break. I have a risk if I don't go to break right now, and I don't want to hedge that bet. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We're talking to Fiona Williams and Scott Mitchell and Bruce McQuaig. When we come back, I'm going to turn it over to Fiona Williams. We're going to talk about where does risk management responsibility live in the C-suite? What did risk... Respondents, boy, I choked on that one. What should respondents to a Deloitte survey say? Which three-letter name in the C-suite should be responsible for risk? We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that app. Brad, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. 
SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. One of my burning questions in the opening of the show was, where does risk responsibility fall in your organization? And we have some survey results from Fiona Williams at Deloitte, and she says risk management now lives in the C-suite, but where? Fiona, help me out. Where? Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, so uh, we're really seeing that the CEO is probably the most uh, likely to be responsible for risk. Um, but it also does fall to other people in the C-suite. And I think part of that is really, um, you know, the lack of awareness that the C-suite had around what they were doing to risk and to manage risk in the organization, and yet they were being held accountable. So as the boards of organizations and as audit committees have got more and more involved in managing risk, managing compliance, and things like that, um, there's been, you know, more visibility to the fact that a lot of times the CEO and, and the people in the C-suite don't really even understand how risk is being managed within the organization. And that lack of awareness has sometimes caught them off guard. And so um, they're getting much more involved in understanding what the key risks are, how they're being managed, and, uh, you know, what the plans are if they have gaps to, to try and mitigate those gaps. And more reporting back to the, um, the board and the audit committee who are taking a, a lot more active interest in this area. So, Fiona, the respondents you're reporting here, 26% pointed to the CEO as primary responsibility executive for overall risk management, 23%, which is really not that far behind, but I don't know the size of your pool of respondents, named the CFO treasurer, and only 19% named the CRO head of risk. So why I find these very close, but if the pool was big enough, obviously, there are a lot of numbers behind those. Did you, uh, was there anybody else mentioned? Because these don't add up to 100%. Who else was named? Any any uh, information on that? Well, a lot of organizations haven't actually, um, you know, implemented sort of a CRO um, organization. And so mm-hmm. they have risk in different parts of their organization. And so, um, you know, depending on who you talk to, they might feel that they own some of the risk. So it could be in internal audit or it could be in their compliance organization. Um, and so without that, uh, you know, CRO title and position where they're managing risk across all of these silos, um, there could be various different people. So the fact that we got, you know, over sort of 70 percent that believe it's in the C-suite is actually a good uh, movement, whereas mm-hmm. probably if you'd done the survey a couple of years back, there wouldn't have been much uh, visibility in the C-suite. It would have been all um, located in the different silos of the organization. So that's what makes it difficult, but we see more and more organizations moving towards having a head of risk or a chief risk officer that's responsible for managing enterprise risk rather than um, having it in silos and and not really very well communicated up to the C-suite and to the board and the audit committee. 
Thank you, Fiona. Good points. Bruce, I want to bring you in on this because you also report that surveys show the level of satisfaction with existing risk management practices is low. Is this because the wrong seat, the wrong chair in the C-suite is handling it? And do you think it should go to a CRO, a designated CRO? Uh, I think that's part of the reason. I think uh, we did a survey that's uh, slightly different than Fiona's, obviously different questions and different people, but the results were startlingly similar. Mm -hmm. Certainly we found that um, uh, senior executives, beginning with the CEO, uh, were extremely concerned about risk management and and their interest in risk management was growing. So it was almost as if there was a sense of urgency to get this this going right. Uh, What we also found was that uh, I think most of the pressures – uh, on executives to get more involved in risk management was coming from the outside, coming from regulators to some extent, coming from stock exchanges to some extent, and to some extent coming from the boards of directors where in some jurisdictions they have specific responsibility for risk oversight and I think are beginning to ask questions of the C-suite. But we found there's a gap. Um, while most of the C-suite acknowledge the importance of risk management and while the accountability for risk management might be you know, in different places in the C-suite, I think... Primarily, financial institutions have chief risk officers, but non-financial institutions might manage risk through a different executive without the CRO title. But the the the, the uh, propensity is to is to manage it at the C-suite level. But we also found dissatisfaction. That uh, mm-hmm. and I think even Fiona's statistic that talked about 91 percent, I think, was the number that of people who plan to yes. make some changes. And the fact that budgets are decreasing suggests that people aren't happy with what they're doing. They're not happy with the information they're getting. Uh, I think most of the individual siloed GRC professionals uh, don't have any real responsibility for performance and the kinds of risks and the kinds of information they bring to bear and report upwards aren't really linked to business performance. They're not consistent um, you know, across the board, can't be aggregated, can't be analyzed, can't be synthesized, can't really draw any conclusions about it. So I think the C-suite's kind of taking the reins of risk management Certainly, they've taken the accountability for it, and I think the next step is to take on take on the reins of risk management and uh, mm-hmm. and make sense of it and, and drive some standards and drive some practices into the organization that currently don't exist. Thank you, Bruce. And I want to turn to Scott Mitchell. Scott, you, you gave me a dichotomy here. I want to talk to you about that. It goes along with what we've been discussing. You say GRC is nothing new. And it's totally revolutionary. Now, how do we reconcile those two parts? Uh, the yin and the yang, the apples and the oranges. Talk to me. Why is it nothing new, but why is it revolutionary, or how? Well, I think, you know, to, to lay the foundation for this and going back to mm-hmm. what, what Bruce and Fiona were just discussing is this idea of who manages risk. Yes. Uh, and, by the way, we, you know, we do surveys like that. Uh, Bruce has, has worked with us on surveys like that, and we see, you know, similar, we ask similar questions in the whole bit. I sometimes wonder if we're asking the wrong question, though. You know, this idea that there's a CRO or a CEO or somebody who manages risk would be sort of like, and sports metaphors don't always work, but if you look at American football or uh, global football or really any sport, hockey, you know, you, you've got an offense and a defense, right? And, and in the end, you've got an offensive coordinator often, you have a defensive coordinator and a head coach, but in the end, it's the players on the field, it's the players on the ice, it's the players on the pitch that are doing it. They're the ones playing offense and defense. And with very few exceptions, you typically don't have players that only play one or the other. They play both. And so in the end, I think in business, it's really the operators that need to manage risk, that need to manage both risk and reward, or uh, put, you know, 
in the sports metaphor, offense and defense. And so going into this, this, this term, GRC, mm-hmm. is really about the integration of not risk and compliance silos. It stands for governance, risk, and compliance, GRC. It's really the uh, integration of performance and risk together so that we're no longer really, hopefully, the, you know, we're not asking questions like who's managing risk. The question is really who's managing. And the two sides of that are always present, risk and reward. Right? So, I, and I think that, that that type of shift is going to be critical. And so when I say GRC is totally revolutionary, you know, nothing new and totally revolutionary, it's nothing new because we've been doing this forever. You know, there's, there's, there's very few business executives that haven't thought about the downside as they're executing their strategy, that haven't thought about risk and reward. It's the nature of business. It's the nature of what we do. What's totally revolutionary, I think, is that we're starting to apply some of the tried and true methods that have been applied to other business processes, like sales, like CRM, and other areas of the business. We're finally applying them now to these back-end, back-office processes around performance, risk, and compliance. Thank you. And I want to turn to the entire panel now. And let's get some examples, case studies, if you have anything, any top of mind. What kinds of risks are we talking about? This is a huge topic, very top of mind, very important. Does a company have the right person in the right chair with the right responsibility and the right accountability, reporting to the right people? Do they have the right technology and the right methods and the right awareness? A lot of forces going on here. But what kinds of risk are we discussing? Fiona from your Deloitte and Forbes Insights 2012 survey, were there specific risks people were talking about when they reference why they're reorganizing and reprioritizing? What are the big, the big dark things that go bump in the night that companies are so afraid of? Well, funny, what we see is a lot of the risks are dependent on the industry uh, that the uh, company's mm-hmm. in. So there are a lot of industry-specific things that, you know, for example, the life sciences business is involved in and, you know, products and uh, supply chain and things like that. Um, you know, in the utilities business, there are a lot of risks around, uh, you know, getting their um, their energy to their customers and managing the risk around that. So a lot depends on the business and then the, the types of issues that are going on in the marketplace and, and the financial volatility, the global economy and how global that organization is and which parts of the globe they're, um, they're involved in and uh, the, the different risks for those different um, locations and countries. So it's really a broad, uh, a broad mix, but the primary um, focus is really around compliance and financial uh, risk that they're dealing with, and then um, anything related to their brand image and um, getting their um, you know products to market. So uh, you know a lot of companies are trying to focus on how do they make sure they stay clean and don't have a, a big issue that puts their name in the, in the press or any sort of privacy leak things like that. Cybersecurity. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, those are things that transcend, but it depends on the, the brand name and what their focus is around the tolerance to risk that they're willing to, uh, to take and how important that is to them. Thank you, Fiona. Scott Mitchell, 40,000 people in the OCEG global nonprofit community. What's top of mind for your members? What, what are they concerned about? Same things Fiona mentioned. Do you have a propensity of members from any particular industry or talk to me? Yeah, it's you know it's pretty it's pretty broad. You know, we have uh, organizations of all sizes, ranging from software startups to Fortune 50 companies. You know, um, and also a, a broad array of industries. And what I think is interesting is so the burning platform. What's on their mind 
it is also very broad. Um, oftentimes, the driver for these projects, or at least what we see in our membership, it's either incredibly, incredibly narrow or incredibly, incredibly broad, meaning there's some issue that they're, they're, they're either dealing with a compliance, uh, a regulatory issue, or some specific risk area as they expand. You know, let's say they're expanding. I gave the example before, expanding globally into areas with high risk of corruption. And they might have anti-corruption uh, risks that they're dealing with. And that's pretty narrow. Um, and so those things are on their mind. But we also have this huge movement over the last, really the last 18 months that we've seen where, and I think some of this is driven from what Bruce had said, people being dissatisfied with their existing risk management practices and wanting for their risk management practices to be more integrated with their performance management practices. And so that's a pretty broad idea, if you think about it. It's really trying to pull in that idea of, you know, playing offense and defense, being a two, you know, two-way player, somebody who can actually do both at the same time, rather than just focusing on risk and compliance or focusing on performance management. Thank so that's you. the and other Bru big driver that we're seeing in our membership. Thanks, Scott. Bruce, I'm at the point of break, but I want to give you 30 seconds. Top of mind risks in the people you've surveyed on GRC. What are you seeing quickly? Well, I, I agree with Fiona. It tends to be <clears throat> industry-specific, and I think, uh, I think the point is that, you know, uh, each industry probably has a handful of risks that have to be managed, and they, but they have to be managed right down to the ground. The concept of enterprise risk and operational risk, I'm not sure works necessarily. If you're in the healthcare business, you're managing risks related to, you know, patient safety and the quality of the services you provide. If you're in the oil and gas business, then you're dealing with economic risks, you're dealing with the political risks, you're dealing with engineering and geological risks, those sorts of things. If you're in the retail business, you're dealing with supply chain, uh, regulatory risk, et cetera. So I think each industry has its own specific types of risks, and obviously supply chain risks can relate to retail and, and manufacturing sure. as well. There are materials out there. I think uh, Standard & Poor's a few years ago put out a list of risks by industry, and there's a lot of crossover, but there tend to be certain categories of risks that dominate the thinking in each industry. Utilities would be business interruption, continuity, cyber threats, those kinds of things. Uh, and I think Fiona mentioned some of those. So I don't think there's uh, – one of the risks we see across the board is regulatory risk, and it's not the risk of failing to comply with the regulations. It's the risk is – how are regulations going to change my business model? Are they going to change the markets I can go into, the customers ah. I can sell to, et cetera? So a lot of people put regulatory risk down, but it's not compliance that's the issue. It's what's going to happen to my business model if a new law comes into effect. But I don't think there's a, a, a standard set of risks across industries, but uh, there are unique risks that tend to focus in certain specific industries. Thank you for bringing out that great point about compliance, Bruce. I'm talking to Fiona Williams, Scott Mitchell, Bruce McQuaig. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Guess what? My guests right now are polishing off the crystal ball. When we come back, it's predictions time. You don't want to miss this. What will risk look like in 2018? What will the CRO role be? Who will be sitting in that chair in the C-suite? And what will GRC mean the same? Or will those letters stand for something else? Don't even think of touching that app. We'll be right back. Brad, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Here we are. And a quick reminder for my Game Changer listeners, go to our resource page. Click any banner on the show page. Look for the coffee cup in the calendar on Voice America, the business channel. Click any banner and go download our free Aberdeen Group white paper on secure delivery of corporate email, business intelligence, BI dashboards, and customer inventory and sales data. It's on us. And now it's time on us. Predictions. You don't want to miss these. Let's start off with Fiona Williams from Deloitte & Touche. Fiona, how far out can you look in the crystal ball or what do you see? Well, you know, as the, the rest of the team have already mentioned and, and Scott just talked about, that having, um, you know, risk sort of built into your organization is going to be more and more of a prevalence. And that really requires a consistent approach and consistent standard and tools that you're using to make sure that you're um, addressing risk as part of your business. So that it's not really an afterthought anymore, but every decision that you make, you factor in the risk aspect of it, and it becomes, you know, just a part of your business and inbred into your daily activities. So I think, you know, as people start down that, that road, it's important now to put in place your risk management organization. Um, you know, if companies don't have a CRO, think about uh, putting a CRO in place. And then to start to um, develop the, the approaches, methodologies, standards across the organization that can help you manage effectively and look at tools that can support all of that so that it doesn't become something that is an add-on that you have to think about, but it's just um, part of the fabric of the organization and the, and the business processes. That's what I would suggest, Bonnie. Thank you, Fiona. Would you advise even a startup entrepreneurs with that, what I like to call the gleam in their eye? Yes, I want my own company. I'm going to show the world how successful I can be. Would you suggest they start off their little C-suite, even if it's a little tiny C-suite, the back of the basement somewhere with a chair that says CRO? What do you think? I think it's always important to start with the right approach and not have to add something afterwards. So even if it's a small organization, I think you want to have that focus around risk because it helps you in the long run. It, it sets that tone at the top that as you hire people, and particularly in small companies that grow fast, you bring in so many people. If you don't have that tone set up front, it's hard to adjust the, the culture and the mentality of people later. And so I do advise that you start off no matter how big or small you are. 
Thank you. Great advice. I told you, listeners, you didn't want to miss these. Scott L. Mitchell, we put the L back for formality as we close the show. OCEG, what do you see in that crystal ball, Scott Mitchell? You know what? Remember, I don't use crystal balls. I use uh, I use tea leaves. But that's the, right. You know, I, if I were to look out in, into the future, what you I hope me. we'll see. Yeah, what, what I hope we'll see is uh, exactly what Fiona was talking about. I want to build on that because what it means is not only is risk management baked into virtually every aspect of the business, but it's done so in a way where it's not negative. It's not a burden. It's not this overbearing, you know, oh, gosh, I've got yet another survey and control risk assessment thing to fill out, where it truly becomes part of the instrumentation of what they're doing. The best-case scenario in 2018 and 2020 is when the person managing risk is related to their, uh, their day job, so to speak. You know, I want to see the VP of global sales in charge of anti-corruption risk. The idea that the general counsel or the chief risk officer or the chief compliance officer is, you know, sort of in charge of that, to me, is both astonishing and just dead wrong. And I think the direction that we're heading is that direction. You know, the best case scenario is probably where the CRO is more like, you know, the defensive coordinator, you know, where, where sure, you know, you've got a person whose fo- who's, who's, you know, primary job is focused, uh, Fiona mentioned, uh, put it perfectly, on the standards, on the methods, and on the techniques but there shouldn't really be a risk management department. You know, it should be a department of one because the department, the people executing on all this are out in the business doing what they do. Ah, interesting, interesting. So the chair at the top, that's a single chair. And you agree that a startup, an entrepreneur, even a, a low-end SME, small to mid-sized enterprise, definitely has to have a CRO? Scott? You know, I'm an angel investor, and so I actually invest in you know, uh, software startups. Uh, I would say it's, it depends on what you mean by SME. I know that some organizations consider SMEs to be companies with, a, with 100 employees or so. And if you're talking mm-hmm. about that level, I think, sure, absolutely. When you're talking about a real small company, a very small company, uh, fewer than 25 employees, I suspect having an actual CRO is probably overkill. In fact, I probably okay. wouldn't invest in a company if they, had, if they were devoting <laughs> you know, a specific uh, resources to that role. But it goes back, you know, think of what I just said. You don't need, really need a CRO, right? If, if, if the techniques are baked into the business, mm-hmm. then I think that's good enough. I really think, and not only good enough, I think it's preferable. So the key is the standards, the methods, and, and, and having that all built into the way that you both develop, you know, formulate, and execute on a strategy. Thank you. No head in the sand there. Bruce McQuaig, SAP, Crystal Ball. What do you want to predict for us today, Bruce? Well, let me look at it from a different perspective, and I guess I'm looking at it from the perspective of uh, what will drive risk management practices in the future as opposed to having an end state. And I ask myself the question, will risk management be driven by advanced technology? And right now, probably not. Um, I think there's far more technology and more sophisticated technology available today than, than most risk management practitioners or most GRC practitioners know how to use. Will it be driven by better standards like ISO 31000 and so on? I, I don't think so. It's good to have standards, but I don't think that will drive the future of risk management. Will it be driven by professional standards in the auditing and uh, risk management uh, professional communities? I don't think that's true either. I think two things would drive risk management in the future and, and get it to where it's really truly an established value-adding profession. The first one has already been mentioned, linking it to business performance, that we really need to focus risk management resources on 
what drives our business performance and what can improve business performance, not what can prevent catastrophes, although that's partly what you have to look at. The question is, what do we need to do to improve our business performance and what's keeping us from, from doing that? The second thing I think, and it's a, a bit of a different flavor, is that I think if there were uh, better reporting standards for risk, in other words, if companies internally could develop uh, better ways of reporting risk, particularly what we call residual risk, and find ways to understand more clearly how risk was being managed in their enterprises, better reporting practices will drive better risk management practices, I believe. And on top of that, I believe a public disclosure of risk practices and risk management practices will drive better practices. So I think risk management will be driven from the top, from external forces and from CEO and C-suite demands for better information linked to business performance. Uh, and that's where the future of risk management lies, in my view. Thank you very much, Bruce. We are out of time. It's time for my predictions. I predict next Tuesday, May 7th, on this show, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, we're going to be discussing strategic execution. What's your game plan for ensuring strategic initiatives are executed successfully? The week after May 14th, you don't want to miss this one, the role of internal audit, uh uh-huh, and how internal audit leaders are driving risk and compliance programs. I want you to join me here tomorrow live, Wednesday, May 1st. Is it really already? 11 a.m. Eastern. So Social and business for the next generation. Special guests, Boston College Professor Jerry Kane, two of his students, one undergrad, one postgrad, and the point of view from the business world from SAP's own Mark Yolton and Todd Wilms. What a panel. Thank you today. Fiona Williams, you were wonderful. Scott L. Mitchell, lovely to meet you. Bruce McQuaig, welcome back. And a shout-out to Aaron Hughes, Malcolm Kimberlin, Michael Lortz, and Brad at the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here's my call to action. Put your seatbelt on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.